I'm going to be reading today out of Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the streets, street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. But do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father, who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Thanks, Luke, for reading the word to us this morning. Thanks, Amy, for leading us in prayer. We're in Matthew chapter 6. Um, we're also in a series of messages on just spiritual disciplines. The part that we have in reaching out to God. I mean, he has done the work on the cross for us, but these disciplines, they're not earning then, but they're, they're a mode of receiving and saying, God, arms are wide open to you. And today we're going to talk about secrecy's part in that, privacy's part in that, uh, having a faith that isn't just so everybody can see it, but so you can have it on the inside. Turn to your neighbor and spell the word anonymous to them this morning. That's what we're going to talk about. Spell anonymous. Answer is on the screen now. We've been following along, and I hope you've been reading along in this book by John Ortberg, The Life You've Always Wanted. I'm trying not to preach the same things that are in the chapters, but man, he had some humdingers of some quotes this week in this chapter on secrecy, on, on secrecy, he says, anonymity is not our thing. Recognitions, accolades, and the limelight are. 
But we don't want to appear to be a braggart. So we come up with subtle and socially approved ways of promoting ourselves and our image. He goes on to say, vast amounts of human behavior, though painstakingly disguised, are simply attempts at showing off. We want to oppress other impress other people without letting them know that we're trying to impress them. Right? Some of what Luke read for us this morning is, like, don't, when you give, hire a band to make it happen. Well, we wouldn't do that because we know it wouldn't work. But we'll make faces. We'll do subtle things on social media, just drop little hints about our holiness and our goodness. We'll infer that we're better than we are, or we're at least seeking after immediate recognition rather than realizing we have a Father in heaven who's invisible and he sees what's done in the invisible, what nobody else sees. Sadly, for many people, every good deed they do has to see the light of day. Every good deed. I have a friend from college who I hope isn't watching the live stream, and maybe you have a friend like him. Uh, we're connected through the interwebs still these days, and uh, it's, been, it's been a long time since I've seen him, but when I do see him, he likes to post videos of um, working out, him working out. Like, this is what I wanted to see when I, when I turned on my phone. Like, I'm just wondering, how's he doing with, with the power clean, right? Like, how's, how's that squat form for you, buddy? Again, hoping he's not watching, or I won't mention his name. But, you know, like, so he's doing a wonderful thing. Like, he is exercising, and we've said that some of these disciplines, like reading our Bible, praying, fasting, giving to others, confessing, getting involved in corporate guidance, those are ways that we, we exercise our spiritual muscles and grow. But do you have to put a camera in front of it? Do you have to show everybody that you're doing it? You get what Jesus says here. No. And even if you're not seeking after Christ, your answer to those who are religious is please no, right? Like, it doesn't have to be all visible for everyone. But Jesus says in verse 1, beware, beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So, of course, there are some things we do, like we didn't tell everybody to close your eyes once you got in here or like give you a mask at the door, like, okay, we don't want you to see other people practicing their faith and their religion. No, we understand that this isn't a prohibition against living for God in the world. It says, don't do it in order to be seen by them. In fact, this would contradict words by Jesus just 100 words before, maybe 100 words after. In chapter 5 and later um, in his Sermon on the Mount, which is, this is from, he says, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill that can't be hidden. He says, let your light so shine before men, in verse 16, uh, that, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in the heavens. We see um, all throughout the scripture, so like the three topics that are brought up, the three objects, or not objects, but practices of spiritual discipline, giving, praying, fasting. These three secrecy is just descriptive of them, but it can be descriptive 
of so many of the other disciplines. But we just sang publicly. We pray publicly. We do so many of the things that are spiritual disciplines together and alone, and some of them we do publicly and some we do privately. You go, isn't that, how do you, how do you tie that together? Isn't that a paradox? It doesn't mean you never do these things. Again, not a prohibition. We see in the scripture, we see um, David giving publicly for the building of the temple. We see a guy named Joseph, who's later called Barnabas. We talked a little bit about him last week, um, who sold a field that he had and gave it publicly to the apostles so that the poor could be cared for. We see Daniel in the Old Testament who prays publicly. He could have just shut his window and saved that whole lion's den nonsense, right? But he prays before an open window. We see public calls for fasting. So there is, and this is just a side note, even within the introduction. Christians, we're to be people of paradox. Not pair of ducks like mallards, but paradox. We are to have confidence and humility. We are to have high standards of holiness and tons and tons of gracious forgiveness. We are to live invisibly for the Lord, in secret and in private, and we are also called to live visibly for him. Christians need to get better at paradoxical things and not be so simple-minded all the time. I know some people are like, well, Jesus seems to, to eliminate that you would even ever pray publicly. No. As a church, we've got to understand that Jesus, you know, he cleared the temple and then he didn't cast the first stone. I mean, what a guy. Someone, and I didn't write down their name, said, a deed that exists for the sake of recognition is not for God, it's for you. When you do good deeds, when you do, uh, some of the translations of this passage of scripture say your alms, your, your charitable deeds, your religious stuff. Do you do it for yourself or do you do it for God? Do you want to be completely free of the control of others? We are so influenced by what other people think about us. I mean, think for some of you, what was the last good thing that you did that you didn't tell somebody about? So I want to tell you that the discipline of secrecy or the description of secrecy attached to your relationship with God will help break the grip of human opinion over your soul and over your actions. In fact, loving God has often you know, kind of almost amounted to nothing. You think about in the Old Testament, they offered burnt offerings to God. It would just go up in smoke. It was just to serve God alone. Chris Tomlin sang a song years ago. I was listening to it this morning. It's, it's called Famous One. You alone. You alone, God, are the famous one. You're the one that we do it all for. So what did Jesus talk about? Three things, not the only three things that it looks like to serve him in righteousness. First, he talks about giving. And so we'll, we'll sit a little bit on that, but I want you to see that there's a pattern to be observed here. Three times. It's, it's broken up a little bit by Matthew um, stretching out the teaching on prayer, the Lord's Prayer. But there's, there's first this, hey, when you do one of these things, give, pray fast. 
Don't be like the hypocrites. So there, there's this pattern there. Don't be like the hypocrites who are seeking this, who are doing this, because they love this from others. But when you, here's what you do with privacy. And so giving first. And so here's some disclaimers talking about giving. One, I don't know what anybody gives in the offering plate besides the family with the last name Sayer. Two, we're not passing the offering plate a second time today. Three, it's going to take longer to talk about this one of giving. I think, one, intentionally, but two, it does set this pattern. So there's the expectation. It's taken for granted by Jesus that we will give to the poor. It's taken for granted by Jesus that we would be giving. In Matthew chapter 23, he says to the religious people, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. We'll get into that word in a second. For you're careful to tithe, give 10% of even the smallest herbs in your herb gardens, but you ignore the important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, faith. You should tithe. This is right from Jesus. You should tithe. Yes, but don't neglect the more important things. It's taken for granted that God's kingdom people should give to the poor. Nod your head if you're with me. That's not new. That, that we should be a giving, generous people. So, the, so let's walk through the pattern that Jesus teaches this in. He says, but the hypocrites, the word hypocrite means actor or stage player. You know the kind of people who are actors, right? They just, they do everything with flourishes. They do everything so just, so just so loud for other people to see. They exaggerate. Actors sit on one side of the table so there's an audience who can see. They position and pose themselves. They're loud. Think back then when actors would act. There's no microphone that they're wearing or guy holding a boom mic. You got to shout. You got to be loud. And so Jesus says, here's how hypocrites give. They want to do it publicly. They want to do it for the publicity. They do it in the synagogue, which would be an equivalent of, of the church, where, where the word of God would go out to the Jewish people, and in the streets. We should be giving in the church and in the streets. But hypocrites, they do it so loud and big. And how he says specifically they do it is with trumpets. Now, some of you who speak a couple languages know that it's difficult to be funny in multiple languages. Jesus is probably speaking in Greek here. It's at least recorded in Greek here. It's been translated to us 2,000 years later in English. And you've got to think that it's a funny picture. Like somebody who's giving. You know, when the baskets go by. Right? Like, it's... It's not hilarious, right? Like he's not competing with Dimitri Martin or something. But he, he's saying, isn't this absurd? But that's kind of what... We, we do it nowadays with a big plastic check, don't we? Or, you know, nobody does it here this morning and we have soft baskets to collect in, but like pouring in a bunch of silver dollars so it would be loud. Or giving just so people could see. Jesus calls that acting. 
acting. You're not really that person. We're called to not act. We're called to be his children. We're called to not go with trumpets. So he, so he then says, let's follow the pattern. He says, then you'll get a reward. There's two words that he uses here for reward. Reward is used twice. He says, you'll get a reward from people. The Greek word there is uh, a misthos. Ask Karina, I pronounced that right. It's one way of referring to wages. Then later it says, God, if we will give in secret, he will give us a reward in a different way. That's apodidmai. Now I looked into these words for quite a bit, and it really just seems like they're the same, except Jesus uses them in a pattern. He says, if you do stuff publicly, you're going to get stuff from people. You're going to get the fair wage from that. But if you do what is only noticed by the Father in secret, you're going to get a different kind of wage. Maybe it's lost to us in the translation, or it's just Jesus using words like wage and salary, and you go, okay, he's saying the same thing, but you can hear it. There's something different going on here. If you want to give with the trumpet, with a giant check, all the time, so everybody sees, you're going to get honor, and it's going to be now, and that's it. But when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Some of you are so good at secretive giving that you don't even give. (laughs) Maybe that's not the same. You got to that line on your taxes. What did you give to charity this year? Next question. Right? So he he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I've been reading that for years, and I go, what is this about? What does this mean? I mean, we use that phrase now to talk about organizations that are not connected very well. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. This is a lack of coordination within a group. I don't know that Jesus is using it that way. One explanation that seemed to make the most sense to me this week is that, okay, so one, he could just be using hyperbole, right? Just make it so secret. You don't have to sit on your hand before the offering plate passes so it goes to sleep and your left hand's like, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) But giving should be an automatic action, like a reflex if, 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 I know some of you, you have this reflective action. You, you wipe the hair out of your face. I don't have that problem. I'm about due for a haircut. But, you know, so you, you don't even realize that you're doing stuff with your... If you fall, you brace for the fall. If you're looking at, at something that's got the sun right in your eyes, it, it's a reflex what your right hand does. Your left hand isn't even thinking about it. It just becomes what you do. And so Jesus says about your giving, it's just what you do. You shouldn't be trying to position and posture so maybe they'll figure out it was me. Your scheme in such a way that you'll get some praise. There's a lot of bad teaching about money, sadly, that comes from pulpits. There's the poverty gospel and there's the prosperity gospel. Was listening. There's a pastor. Um, is he in Tulsa? Uh, Michael Todd. He did some preaching the last two weeks. And I was like, oh, I should watch this for this section. Dude preached for an hour and forty-five minutes each week the last two weeks. 
So I'll cut you some slack. We'll only go 70 minutes of preaching. But man, there's some good... He's he's a good teacher. He's a crazy teacher. You look at those outfits. Woo! Anyways, Michael Todd, good stuff. I think think you sent me his stuff first. Who's who's he pointing at? Sorry. Well, so don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will give you a reward. What he sees done in secret, the word in the Greek there is crypto. Jesus says, give cryptocurrency. <laughs> One Bitcoin, that would be nice. If you know how much that's worth, that'd be great. Your giving should be classified. Now, does that mean never? Like, like you just get cashier's checks to give to people? No, but what a correction this would be if we would be generous as a reflex, if we would be generous in a way that we're not acting. Second act is prayer. Now, Pastor Will preached about prayer the, the second two couple Sundays ago. Um, I don't want to take this for granted, but he covered it. Jesus, I think, also says, no man can be in the kingdom of heaven who does not pray. Pray to God, not pray to the people around him. I was on the phone with somebody this week who I talk to every couple weeks, and they pray with me, they talk to me. And um, we got to the part of the phone call, last part of the phone call, and he said, hey, can I pray for you? I'm going to pray for you now. Whatever he said, sure. And I shuffled around, and I bumped the Bluetooth button that hung up on him. Darn it! And so I I immediately started calling him back. Nothing, nothing. Call him back over the next three minutes. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Then finally, he calls me back after four minutes. He's like, well, what happened? I was like, ah, I'm a dummy, you know, like I hung up on you. And so what did he do? Did he start praying again? No, he just said, hey, here's what I mentioned to God for you. Because you know who he wasn't talking to when he was praying? He wasn't talking to me. That I didn't hear him, you know, it would have been nice. But when we pray, we're not praying so other people around us will we're, we're praying. I mean, there, yes, there's the public part of that. Can you hold on to the tension there, but at least understand that we might need to overcorrect some of us to not slip into the hypocrisy, not slip into the acting, looking to be honored by others. Yeah, we don't hire marching bands anymore, but we'll use Twitter. We'll use other means at our disposal to broadcast. Man, look at how well pray. Look at how much I pray. That's what the hypocrites do. They're looking for an audience. They take a podium in the streets to pray. I mean, can you imagine that picture? To just go where the busiest place is and stop and pray. A lot of people go to some busy places because they want to show off their faith. Standing in the street, babbling on, You'll get, you'll get seen, but that's it. Jesus says, close the door of your closet. Or he, it says, close your secret door. This is the best evidence I have so far to convince my wife that we could have a secret room in our house. Does, is that not like on a bucket list of like just having a bookcase that like leads to another room? There's some scriptural evidence to have that done. It's an abuse of the scripture, but it, uh, it would make a case. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your father. 18 verses. Father's mentioned 10 times. 
Do we care what our Father thinks about us? John Ortberg said, We are not the passive victims of others' opinions. Their opinions are powerless unless we validate them. No one's approval will alter us unless we grant it credibility and success. The same holds true for disapproval. Who are you trying to impress and why? You have a father in heaven. While you're seated there, let's pray the Lord's Prayer now before we get to the fasting section of this passage of Scripture. It's on the screen if you don't know it. We'll be praying it with the words trespasses. Our Father, who art in heaven, really good. We should get out a cell phone and record that and like put that online. <laughs> Verse 16 through 18. Uh, we'll skip through you know, verses 7 through 15. We, um, if you weren't with us last February and March, taught on the Lord's Prayer for um, probably too many weeks, four or five weeks. Um, if you want to dive into that a little bit more, look back in the archives of the old YouTubes. Last three verses. Let me read a paraphrase of it by a guy named Eugene Peterson who wrote uh, what some call a translation called The Message. He says, when you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you well. Giving, praying, taken for granted by Jesus. And in the same pattern, fasting seems to be something that those who belong to the kingdom of God will do. What is fasting? It's not the opposite of slowing. It's going without food for a while for the sake of, I want to focus on God. It's almost always paired with, with a time of meditation, prayer, scripture reading, diving into, God, I, I, I want your guidance. Going without food. Now, I know I'm talking to Americans who are used to three meals plus a good-sized snack every day for 365 days a year. And we like to reason our way out of what seems to be a clear mandate of Scripture. This isn't the only place. Jesus talks one time, why don't your disciples fast? He says, oh, they will fast. But why would they abstain from eating when they're with the party animal that I am, he says. Uh, that's a little bit of my translation, but he says, like, it's a wedding feast. I am the bridegroom. Why would they fast? But they will. A German theologian imagined a father asking, or, or uh, a father sending his son to bed, 
only to have the boy reason to himself, Father tells me to go to bed, but he really means that I am tired and he does not want me to be tired. I can overcome my tiredness just as well if I go out and play. Therefore, he really means go out and play. It's quite the rationale. We do the same with fasting. We think we've figured out who he wants us to be. We figure, we've figured out, that, oh, he's, he's changing me. And so, um, yeah, I don't have to fast. I don't have to give up anything. So Jesus, going through that pattern again, he says, the hypocrites do this with somber looks, disfigured faces. You know, the practice of righteousness, following God, does not have to be joyless. It does not have, you don't have to look miserable. To look miserable in order to be thought holy is a wretched piece of hypocrisy. Bob Goff said, doing the right thing with the wrong motive is the wrong thing. We're in the season of Lent. Have you met anybody who's like, oh, I'm giving this up for Lent. You know. Giving this up for, you know. Okay, so maybe you might interact at some point in the day where you have to say something like that. But do you have to like, mm, it's so terrible. He says, if you do that, you'll get the pity of others. You'll get the recognition. You'll get a temporary honor. You will get spotlighted for a moment. It won't be obvious. Is the goal, though. So Jesus says, put oil on your head and wash your face. Another scripture you can take out of uh, context is Matthew 6, 17. Parents of teenagers, wash your face. Jesus said, wash your face. The other thing I think about that is, isn't it wonderful that we can be comfortable and holy at the same time? People who have actually fasted, not just whined about like skipping one meal, will actually find that fasting is something that you can enjoy. That, that physically it feels good. The Puritans called, called fasting soul fattening. Soul fattening. Now I want to read verses 19 through 24. I have a hunch that this passage of scripture has something to do with what we just read. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Those sorts of rewards. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are you storing up treasures? Is it in your cryptocurrency account? Is it in your shed? Is it in your 401k? Is it how much people like you? Where are you storing up treasures? If we are to be true followers of Christ, um, we've got to hold on to this paradox of, of having a faith that is private and public. 
Our kids need to see us pray and fast. And they need to see us give. Do they need to see all the zeros on the check? Do they need to see every moment that you pray? Do they need to know how many days you've gone without food? Maybe not. But they need to see it. Are you going to always be able to manipulate the situation so your people won't see that you're given? No. But what if you would start carrying cash just so you could be more anonymous? Not coins. Coins are terrible. But cash. Just to be... Like, I, I, I want to... You know, we, we've talked about, like, the world doesn't need secret agent Christians in the sense of, like... We need to hide our faith. But it does need real Christians who who are looking to be seen by our Father who is in secret and to receive the rewards from Him that maybe we don't store up here on earth but are stored ahead of us in heaven. A lot of you have messed with the privacy settings on your phone, but what about the privacy settings on your life? I think it's about time we, we savored secrecy and abstained from revealing our good deeds, our talents, our qualities. Do you know who made what needed to be made public, public? Jesus, when he died on the cross. A public offering has been made. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. So if you look at uh, how he went to the cross, there's the religious powers. There's Pilate and the empire of Rome. There's the, there's the temple and, and there's Caesar and there's the empire. And neither seem to be impressed with Jesus. But the only name we still talk about. We want to talk about Caesar all the time. Most of you couldn't name who the high priest was at that point. There's no record left anymore of who gave to the temple at that point. The name that remains is Jesus. And as John records at the end of his gospel, these words were written so that you might believe. This, who Jesus was, his gospel, they're written so that you might believe. We know just enough about him, but John says, if we were to write down everything he did, the whole world wouldn't have enough room for all the books of what could be written. Friends, oftentimes the question is asked, what will be on your tombstone? And that's, that's actually a decent question. I know some of you have lost loved ones in the last week. And, and you know, like, what do we put in an obituary? Super challenging thing. Super challenging. But I encourage you to think about what won't be said at your funeral. But will be said when you cross that line into heaven. You leave the land of the dying here on earth and go to the land of the living. What treasures have you stored up there? What has Jesus seen in your prayer closet? What does he know about what you have given? What does he know about the times you have fasted and prayed 
for situations that are not even your own, but you would go before the cross of Jesus Christ and you don't even have to tell the person you're doing it. Or if you do, you just, you just send them an anonymous note and say, I'm praying for you. You have been fasted for, you have been prayed for. Oh, what a powerful thing that is. There's so much power in the secret place. So if you'll commit to serving him in a secret place, would you stand? Just kidding. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, um, we need a bold commitment to you. We need a, a stark um, contrast to the world around us that is constantly trying to be loud and justify itself. And boy, what hypocrisy there is disgusting thank you that you haven't called us to be actors or actresses thank you that we don't have to remember our lines put on the makeup talk loud but that it pleases you for, for us to have a, a in our place to live for you Father, if our place is in a quiet corner of your kingdom, may we not ruin it by, tr by becoming a king. Father, if you have called us to a place of humble service that, yeah, people will know our name, may we realize who we're really working for. May we not just, um, as Paul encourages, I think it's in Colossians, not, not to just serve when people's eye is on us and to win their favor. But Lord, would we, even if everybody's not looking, we recognize you are. You are our Father. What does anything else matter? So, Lord, help us to leave this morning dedicated to anonymity, maybe as never before. Change the privacy settings on our hearts. Increase not only our privacy, but the amount of reaching out to you that we do. Father, maybe it's stepping up in giving. Maybe it's stepping up in praying. Maybe it is this week for the first time exploring a fast. Father, we thank you that it doesn't have to be a joyless thing, but it can be a spirit-filled thing. So may we listen now to your Holy Spirit, not forget what we have heard. And when we find ourselves in a, in a quiet place this week, would we remember that there is somebody who is still watching? And what we do then matters. Probably more than what we do when we're on a platform. So convict us. Renew us. Heal us. We are sick in this. Help us together, help us individually to understand how we can proclaim the good news 
shouting it with a quiet voice. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.